together because we got things to pray for this morning. Father, we thank you for our gathering today. We thank you for this church, and I thank you for every person here that belongs to this church, the Fellowship of the Saints. We thank you for Jesus and all that he's done for us. We thank you, Father, for your love. And Lord, I pray especially this morning for Rachel as she continues to heal. Lord, we thank you for protecting her, for preserving her life in such a dangerous situation, Lord. And, and we thank you for the great doctors who worked on her. We pray for the Geesland family as they continue to uh, deal with this matter, Lord. And pray that you would give Rachel uh, complete healing and uh, take care of all the things that are connected to this accident. Father, we, I pray for Jessica, uh, who broke her arm, and pray that you would help her arm to heal well, and pray that you would relieve the pain that she has and help her in this healing time. I pray for Don Hoyt, Lord, and pray that you would take special care of him as they found bleeding by the brain. So, Lord, we pray for your mercies upon him. We thank you for Don and his faithfulness. We thank you for Lynn and the way that she cares for him. Pray, Lord, that you would just continue to uh, encourage him and help him. And thank you for his continued trust in you. And then, Father, I pray for Dennis Bird, who many of us know, who has cancer and is undergoing treatment, and pray, Lord, that you would work in his body to make the treatments very effective to be able to take care of the cancer, and, Lord, that you would encourage him and help him in this, this time. Now, Father, we pray that you would help us as we look into your word, help us to understand more of you and of your word, and to become even better people who can... Uh, Help people out in our world because things are so confusing today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, this morning what I'd like to do is say a few words about last week's Bible passage that I think will be very helpful for understanding that passage and also will help us for this morning's passage. You know, last week Jesus talked about you know, in our passage, Jesus talked about the teaching of an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And basically meaning when somebody does something wrong or commits some kind of a crime, their punishment should fit the crime. And if they knock somebody's tooth out, they deserve to have their tooth knocked out. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense in one way because you want the, you want the punishment to stop the person from doing any more, and you want them to pay for their crime, in a sense. And so when you're talking about judges, you know, bringing up a penalty, or authorities carrying out, you know, judgment, then it makes sense. But in Israel, what it did, it became more of a cultural mindset, even outside of the judicial system. And it actually became a tool of revenge for anyone who thought they had been wronged. 
eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so, as God's people, you know, as they are listening to his word or looking at his commandments, but as they move further and further away from God in their hearts, something like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth can become, I'm going to get even. Just to have that mindset without the heart toward God, it can turn into something that's very vengeful and violent. Whatever you do to me, I will do to you, if not worse. Now, many of you have heard of Mahatma Gandhi. <clears throat> he was a philosopher, a statesman, lawyer. He was born in the 1860s, died in the 1940s. And he has this famous quote concerning eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's been, of course, he has lots of quotes. People quote him a lot. And this famous quote has been quoted through the centuries. He said, an eye for an eye will eventually leave the whole world blind. And he's saying, you know, if everyone operates by the law of revenge, no one will be left standing. And then we look at Jesus' words, and he says, you have heard an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if someone wants to sue you for your shirt, not only do you not give him your shirt, but you give him the shirt, and then you go ahead and give him your coat also. Wow. And then he says, <clears throat> if someone slaps you on the right cheek, don't just hit them back. Turn the other cheek so they can slap you on the other cheek. Still doesn't sound too good, does it? And then he says, if some Roman soldier tells you you have to carry their equipment a mile, because that was allowed in the law, but they could only do a mile, he says, somebody knows the answer back there. <laughs> he says, go ahead and offer to carry another mile. <clears throat> what Jesus is saying is, don't respond with revenge, but respond with kindness and forgiveness. That's basically the message behind the whole thing. And here's what happens. You know, instead of striking back in revenge, we offer some kind of help. We try to understand the person's need. We try to make peace in the deal. And we try to use forgiveness and kindness. And you know, and as we take that first step, our hearts begin to change. You know, if we just sit and read about it and listen to this, talk about it, it, you know, it can affect us. But when we actually take the physical act of helping somebody that wants to hurt us or give them something that they are demanding just because we want to help them, then we start reprogramming our mindset. It, it has an effect upon us. And we respond in faith instead of revenge or hate, maybe not because we feel like it, but because Jesus tells us to, and that's what faith is. Faith is acting on something even when we can't see the result. 
And then when we, we respond positively to Lord, the Lord's commands and his, his instructions, and we have a willingness of heart to follow God, even beyond what we see, then the Holy Spirit takes that and applies that faith step to our hearts and minds and changes us and makes us better people. God works so often in response to our obedience. And as we make those kinds of choices, those faith choices, that desire for revenge begins to diminish. And as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and we practice those kinds of things, we become people of peace and kindness rather than people of revenge. Now, there was this mother who heard her child, her little boy child, screaming. And so she ran into the bedroom and found and saw his two-year-old sister having hold of his hair and a tight grip, not letting go. So the mother walked over, gently released the little girl's grip on this boy's hair, and she said to him, she goes, well, hon, you know, she's just a baby. She doesn't understand that pulling hair hurts. And so the mother walks back out. And within seconds, she hears the little girl screaming. So she runs back into the room. She goes, what happened? And the boy looked at her and said, now she understands. <laughs> so we might say, an eye for an eye can eventually leave the whole world blind or at least cause some premature baldness in children. But now we move on to another area of life that can really set us apart from the mass of humanity. But again, it requires us to turn away from the world's answer. It requires us to turn away from the way the world does it or what we're taught by the world. We can't go by what we see all around us. We can't go by our basic instincts. And see, that's a message today. It's you look inside of yourself to find the truth. And it's your basic instincts that are right because we are the commanders of our life. Be true to your own feelings. Follow your heart. Don't deny who you really are deep down inside. So with that world's message and what comes from that, I want you to look at our first verse here. Matthew 5, 43. He says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, just to be clear, the Bible in the Old Testament does not say to hate your enemy. But that is just kind of how it expanded throughout the centuries. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I think we could understand that. You know, Israel was in slavery to Egypt for 400 years or so. Uh, when they moved into their land, you know, what tribes would do and nations would do, they would go in and take other people's lands. And so Israel was fighting battles right from the day one. Uh, they had been taken captive to enemy nations at different times, Israel had. Uh, powerful nations had come swept through there building empires and different 
empires would take over the Israelites and make them subjects of theirs. At the time Jesus was speaking, Rome ruled over that part of the, the world, limiting the Israelites' freedoms. So you can kind of see how the commandment was expanded from love your neighbor to also hate your enemies. But let's look at what Jesus says about that. Well, let me restart again, there again. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. <clears throat> Here we go again. Not only love your neighbor, and then I would have thought, Jesus would have said, love your neighbor and don't hate your enemies. But he doesn't. He says, love your neighbor and love your enemies. Now this may be even worse than turning the other cheek or handing over your coat or walking that second mile. I mean, he's actually telling them to love their enemies. It's hard enough to love our neighbors, isn't it? Much less our enemies. In fact, it can be difficult to love certain family members, much less our neighbors. And people we work with and go to school with. I have even heard of people having a hard time loving some people they go to church with. Mm. I can't believe it either. And yet Jesus says we should love our enemies, but not only that, and pray for those who persecute you. We are to love our enemies and pray for our persecutors. What is he talking about, and why does he say this? I mean, it goes against everything we feel. If we're looking inside for the answers, we're not going to find that one there. It certain wouldn't, certainly wouldn't be following our instincts. It's against every natural instinct. And, you know, we could come up with a long list of reasons why we can't just go out and love our enemies. I mean, the things that they have done, the hurts they have inflicted, the evil they've, they've perpetrated, the way we've been treated. Think of those who masterminded the 9-11 attack that killed 3,000 Americans. I'm amazed at what they had to go through in order to carry that off. First of all, to plan that, you know, driving or flying airplanes into those massive buildings, those towers. They had to come over. I don't know if they had to get citizenship, but they had to come over and learn how to fly those, those planes. I'm sure it took years, planning, preparation, and such a level of hate and now we're supposed to love them? Do you realize how many people lost close loved ones 
and are still hurting from that? How can we love enemies and pray for persecutors? Well, in one sense, we really can't, can we? We really have to have God's help coming from the outside to fill our hearts so that we can love people who we just would never even think of loving. And did you see why Jesus wants us to love our enemies and pray for those who hate us? <clears throat> the first part of verse 45 there. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus, let me, let me look here first. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus doesn't tell us to look inside of ourselves to follow our hearts. He tells us to become like our heavenly father. God wants us to take on his values and his character. That's what just children do, don't they? They just take on, they just start following their parents' values. And God is generous even to those who hate him or reject him or mock him or try to convince people not to follow him. And yet to them, he gives them the life, life sources that they need. The sun, the rain. And we know that there are some out there that spew intense hatred of God, who have totally kicked him out of their lives and have replaced him with themselves and go and try to make him illegal. And people across the world that burn down houses of people that follow God. All that while they're doing all that evil and, and hatred toward God they are kept alive by his kindness. Imagine what he could do to all who just turn their noses up at him. So Jesus is saying that we want to be like our Father in heaven. We want to take on his characteristics, his attitudes. We want to reflect his love and not just love those who already love us, but extend our love to those who don't love us and maybe even try to hate us and maybe even try to kill us or stop us or turn us from God. And again, we do this by faith because we, not, we may not be able to make it come from our hearts at first. But when we engage in acts of love for others, it starts to, to reform, re, re, reprogram our minds. The Holy Spirit encourages our hearts when we take steps of faith and increases our understanding in God's wisdom so that we can please God and obey God and follow Him. You know, sometimes... We may be waiting for God to change our hearts before we begin taking steps of faith. We may say, well, I'm not ready yet. 
God has to move me. Or we may even think it would be hypocritical of me to do this act of kindness when I don't feel like it, when I don't really want to. You know, I've talked to individuals who go to church, claim to have turned to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, claim to be Christians just outright, but they say, you know, I really don't live for him real strongly because I would feel like a hypocrite because I really don't want to. But you know, I've, even, I've heard that. Now, that's twisted thinking. It's really hypocritical to claim to belong to Christ and then refuse to live for him. So we've got it backwards. God responds to our acts of faith and rewards willing hearts. And then the Holy Spirit takes our actions and attitudes and increases our faith and our understanding and shapes our character to become more like Jesus. The Christian life is a life of faith. It is a life of taking steps of faith. And the Spirit of God who indwells us is with us to encourage us each step of the way, to teach us as we go, to strengthen us, and to help us on to Christian maturity. And he continues to deepen our understanding. He gives us understanding beyond what anybody in the world can see or understand. And that's why we look so odd to people. Because they're not even in that realm. And that's why we can't go to the world for answers. Because they're not in that way of reasoning and understanding. And in all of that, God builds our character. You know, the African Impala, Impala can teach us a lesson about faith. The Impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet and cover a distance of over 30 feet. That's quite a jump. But yet, these Impalas can be kept enclosed in any zoo with only a three-foot wall because they will not jump if they can't see where their feet will land. So to them, it's impossible. They, They just don't know. They won't do it. Well, faith is the ability to trust what we cannot see. But we have such good reason because it's God whom we're trusting. Often what we cannot see is what God will fulfill as God fulfills his promise. But we know that he is faithful and true. So God wants us to not only love our neighbors, but he wants us to also love our enemies. And he wants us to be willing to pray for our our persecutors. That takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? But look what Jesus says will happen if we don't take these steps of faith. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? He's saying that loving only those who already love you and greeting those who already are part of your group, 
How much faith and courage does that take? Even what they call the low life do that, tax collectors and pagans. If you only greet your own, that doesn't take any faith or character at all. Even people with no interest in God can do that. I kind of thought of it like this. You know, he talks about rewards. What rewards will you receive? He's talking about heavenly rewards. And I was thinking, do you think that by loving only those who love us and greeting only those who are part of our own group, you think it's going to cause the angels to do backflips and the chariots of heaven to go parading down honking horns? It doesn't take any faith, does it? And it doesn't result in heavenly rewards. We're supposed to be storing up treasures in heaven during this life, aren't we? We want to, we want to graduate. We want to move on to where our home full of treasures. So then Jesus says in verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Move on from just, you know, welcoming those who welcome you, loving those who love you. Now that word perfect has the meaning, more the meaning of completeness rather than sinless perfection. It means becoming a fully mature Christian. It means we should be grown-up Christians. A big part of that, growing or maturing, is growing and maturing to the level of being able to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. You know, in this Sermon on the Mount, This is what we are finding. As Jesus talks to his disciples about kingdom of heaven values, he is telling them that the law of God or the law of Moses wasn't given to them to make them legal. You see, religious leaders were always trying to be within the law But yet, while they had sinful hearts, selfish, prideful hearts, hateful hearts, because they were plotting Jesus' murder while they were claiming to obey the law. While if someone truly followed the spirit of the law, what the law was written for, you know, as Jesus would teach it, then it would lead past the legalism to hearts of love and forgiveness. And so Jesus is saying if we truly followed the sense of the law, what it was meant to be, we would move toward love and forgiveness. But you know, as Jesus spoke about all these life matters that we've been seeing over the weeks, you know, anger, lust, divorce, honesty, revenge, how to treat neighbors and enemies, he wasn't just trying to teach them how not to get caught doing wrong or how far they could go without crossing over the sin line. That was the Pharisees. But their hearts were evil. 
And isn't even that what we do with defense lawyers? <clears throat> you know, even if everybody in the courtroom knows what the action was wrong, the defense lawyer tries to show how, well, maybe we could look at it another way. But that's not what the law is for, the law of God. Jesus is saying in all this is that it was never meant, the law of God was never meant for people to stay legal when doing wrong. It was meant to help people become better people. It was meant to make God's people people who love and forgive others. It was meant to help people reflect our Father in heaven. It was make us, meant to make us true sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. So here we have Jesus saying we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. If by faith we pray for our enemies, that can soften our hearts. That can cause us to think more kindly towards them. And the more kindly we think toward them, the more we pray for them. And the more we pray for them, the more kindly we think toward them. The Apostle Paul said the end result of the commandment is love from a good conscience and a pure heart. The result of the commandment is love. And you see, the religious leaders took it in a completely different direction. But that's what selfishness does. But this is where God is trying to take us. To take us away from being angry, lustful, wanting to divorce, dishonest, vengeful, toward a pure heart, toward a true love for God, a true love for our neighbors, even our enemies, so we can be true children of our Heavenly Father. Now, <clears throat> our nation at this point, of course, is in this fierce political battle, and the stakes are very high, and the battle lines have been drawn very distinctly, haven't they? And, you know, it does concern us because if, you know, one way or the other, we go this way or that way, it's going to make a big difference. But are we able to pray for our political enemies? Are we praying for our nation? Praying for the Church of Jesus Christ and what we can be at this point in time? And so, this morning, I'd like just to end our time with a time of prayer for our nation. And any way you want to pray for our nation, but I'm just asking if a few people will, uh, just stay seated, but asking that a few people will uh, pray in some way for our nation, maybe this election, maybe the new administration, you know, whatever it is. <clears throat> Uh, whatever comes to your mind, if we could just lift up our nation in prayer as the body of Christ.